Welcome to the Literacy Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gabriel. Oh my goodness, listeners, you are just going to love this so much. I just finished recording this session and I am brimming with ideas and super excited to think about some of the things that I'm not going to give away that we talk about on this. And she's just one of the most um, intuitive, insightful, and knowledgeable uh, language arts specialists or literacy specialists. Colleen is one of the people that I turn to first when I have really big questions about instruction or intervention or systems that support both instruction and intervention. She somehow manages to make me feel like there are no stupid questions, um, but has such a breadth of knowledge and experience that she always leaves me with something to think about. So I was really excited to bring her on the show. And so you'll see that this interview is a little bit different. Um, the questions aren't super direct or directed. I'm basically like, what are you thinking about? And she really takes the reins and goes. Because with somebody like Colleen, it is infinitely more exciting to find out what is at the raw edge of her learning, what she's been thinking about and working on and processing and wondering about than anything I could imagine asking. So I really enjoyed having this conversation with her and I hope that you enjoy it too. Let's meet Colleen. I'm Colleen Morello, and I am a language arts specialist in Fairfield, Fairfield Public Schools. Um, I'm at an elementary school, Osborne Hill. Mm -hmm. Osborne Hill, one of my favorites. <laughs> Me too. So what's going on? <laughs> that was my big question for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like it's been like almost like a... Um, like a, like a mountain. So I feel like in the, in the very beginning of distance learning, we were um, kind of overwhelmed with the technology and trying to get teachers on board and try new things and give them PD. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of all new and people got into a good place after, after the awkward phase and the overwhelmed phase, then they got kind of good and things were riding. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of came to another halt with parents, you know, mm -hmm. saying, too much. So as much as we were feeling great about, oh my God, I learned how to do Flipgrid and I learned how to do this and I got the document camera. Then we all felt good and we're doing all this stuff. And the parents were like, you're freaking us out. You're stressing us out. This is a lot. Yeah, so then yeah, we kind of had yeah. to take a, take a step back. So now I feel like we're kind of still in that, in that phase of what's too much and what's not enough. Mm -hmm. How are you thinking about that question? It's been a theme. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, I do think we probably, in hindsight, did um, start off too strong, definitely, mm -hmm. um, with doing too much. We had a lot of teachers that were already tech savvy, so they got right on board. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in our zest of learning stuff and then wanting to try it out, I think we probably could have used a different platform to trying stuff out before we were mm -hmm. posting things. Mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. might have been, I mean, it's all new, so it was hard to say. Mm -hmm. I think as teachers in Fairfield, we were more worried about the opposite end of parent feedback being, come on, yeah. you know, these kids aren't doing anything and they're, mm -hmm. you know, we need stuff. So I think we were kind of prepared for that because that's usually the message we get in school. Right. You know, right. That more and more and more, rigor, rigor, rigor. <laughs> um, and we were expecting that in this way, and I think we overwhelmed them just given the whole um, pandemic, the technology, and then of course, um, you know, parents working from home on yeah. top of having to do this. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we were trying to PD ourselves at the same time of posting. So I think mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, happening at the same time, that synchronicity was not good. 
mm -hmm. um, teachers, um, as language arts people, um, we're on grade level teams. So we've created a, cl a closure document that basically has um, parent friendly teaching points with at home friendly independent practice and application. Wow. And we've sent those, the teachers ha have access obviously to that document and they can kind of choose accordingly and they can switch things around. And, and I would say 90% of the feedback from the teachers has been very positive. So we've tried to work really hard at, um, you know, doing that and putting that in there for the teachers to use. Um, now we've kind of pared it back based on the parents and the district saying, hang on, it's a lot to just two teaching points a week. Mm -hmm. And the other two days, because Friday is still that kind of social, emotional catch up on what you've been doing today, the other two days of being more just continued practice and application. So not any new learning. So the nice thing that they did do is now these Fridays were our, a lot of Fridays they just passed at the board um, are going to be PD days for teachers. Oh, wow. So yeah, so the teachers, this, the kids get that social emotional piece that a lot of the, the psychology department is giving teachers activities to just post and mm -hmm. catch up on work and finish stuff. And the teachers have an opportunity to do PD and sign up for different webinars and, and things like that, that the district is offering. So that I think has been um, a nice response to the feedback from teachers and parents. What are you guys thinking about with, um, assessment are you doing any do you need to do any is there any pressure in any direction to do it not to do it what are you what's where are you with that um it is absolutely at the top of the um talking points at the district level so they do want to do assessment mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i think they want progress reports to go out wow all right yeah yeah i think they're um i've heard they're talking about grading out obviously some of the things that we score, but they're trying to give some type of feedback to parents, which, you know, I think it's going to be really hard. And I, I wonder about the intentions of it. Are we doing it just to put a, a grade on a progress report? Because I'm not sure how informative that's going to be for a parent when they probably know better than we do how their kids are doing. <laughs> so why are we, you know, I almost feel like we should say to the parents, can you score your kids? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think they're doing? Um, you know, we're looking at some running records, there are some different um, onlines that we're doing at least maybe at the bare minimum to check in on our intervention kids. Yep. Yeah. That makes so sense. I've heard a bunch of things being tossed around. Um, the idea for the progress reports, the idea of running records online, the idea of um, some type of in the summer assessment, like whenever mm -hmm things get lifted or there's a possibility of actually having kids come in, you know, on a rotating kind of basis to get assessed so that we can better make, you know, adjustments to the fall curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, I've even heard things thrown out there like keep the students in the same classroom for the start of the year so that teachers can assess the kids they know. Wow. Yeah and either keeping that all year and doing something in that way or then shifting to the next grade level but after those key assessments have been done which at first i thought was kind of crazy but there's parts of it that actually make sense to me yeah <laughs> to be honest you know mm -hmm. you think of all the work we do in the beginning of the year for you know we've pushed back benchmarks so that the teachers can get to know the kids first and mm -hmm. the kids don't feel like they're being assessed by somebody that doesn't know them and they're coming off of a summer 
loss or a slide and they need to kind of get back into the groove and we afford them that time under normal circumstances. Yeah. So you do, you know, I do worry about using any type of assessment right now. Yeah. Because it'll be geared out, out of one assessment, which we always tell teachers not to do, right? Mm -hmm. Look for patterns over time before you give somebody a score mm -hmm. or a grade or a, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I worry about that doing that now and even in the summer. So that fall idea is really not as crazy. I keep thinking about this um, time of year as sort of like, you know, in May after standardized testing, but before it's really summery and you kind of like lose, uh, lose time to field days and graduations and all the things that happened in June. Um, yeah. but so it's basically like, this is going to be the longest May in history. You don't have to yeah. worry about the test, but things are still, you know, so you can do the kind of instruction that you really want to do maybe, uh, except there are all these new challenges, barriers, restrictions, possibly in different, in different settings. Right. But that piece of time is really, um, after the test is kind of free for the stuff that feels right. right. And then in the fall, traditionally, the first however many weeks that you give people to like relax into the school year before you do any real testing is another kind of space, uh, space in the calendar that is kind of free outside of the boundaries of the testing periods. And that's right. maybe going to shift. It's like, yeah, this, this, the longest May is the shortest September. <laughs> the short, exactly. It's the shortest September. That's exactly right. But and yeah. even that sounds like, you know, it might be a good possibility, but then I worry about, so we're going to bring them in after this crazy long time and we're going to actually push the assessment sooner because we're prompting to, you know, it's almost, it's almost like you can't win, but I don't know which is the less evil of the two. Right. Yeah. And it may be like the same way that we're doing a refining by fire version of what do we want to teach right now? And um, we might have to do another refining by fire version of what do you want to assess or assess first? Exactly. Do exactly. Yeah. Assessment, not like your normal battery of many. And Right. Like what do you need to know right now to get your classroom up and going and start teaching? Right. And what, what most natural way can we do that so that we transition kids back in a, in a good way and not mm -hmm. in a rushed, assessed kind of way. Right. Welcome back to school. Here's the test. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's see how you did. Let's right. say you did the last six months. <laughs> Remember, ask for the people that test you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, teach you. I mean, test you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. And also, the whole, like, you know, curriculum's designed with, like, grades in mind that like second grade is about a certain thing and part of what second grade is, is about is where first left off and where third is going to begin Absolutely. and those things are kind of blown up so it's a nice opportunity to make curriculum match the kids instead of matching a scope and sequence yep absolutely but i don't know that we're geared up tooled up for that like if in a district that has curriculum that's written and that's high quality and usable um, you're supposed to be using it. So there's yeah. not a lot of it. E even if people have the knowledge and skill to do it themselves, there's not a lot of practice with that necessarily. Exactly. Exactly. And they look for guidance from, you know, this, the support staff in the building and from central office to hand them those, that kind of information. So you wonder too, like what that's going to look like. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like for my teachers, I need to help them revise the first unit of study. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for what that's going to look like mm -hmm. at every grade level because it can't <laughs> go as it is now right you know right boy 
now I think there's going to be a little bit of a shift to more um, building-based Friday PDs so that as a building, we get a little bit more connected and watch and learn and ask questions from our peers and Mm -hmm. colleagues, the people that we work with and are a little bit more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking maybe we'll get a little bit more out of that. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. That it's the move to do the same thing that I'm hearing a lot of teachers say that with the online learning, they're prioritizing connection first, learning second. And I think adults certainly need that too. And it's nice to feel part of a, it's great to feel like there is like central coherence across the district. So that probably was an important thing uh, to lay as a foundation. But then, yeah, to be able to connect with the people that you used to see every day, that's a real loss. And so it's, you know, doing it online one, one day a week is certainly not a replacement, but it is an acknowledgement that this is, you know, something that we miss and that's important. Absolutely. And gives a teaching up. Um, But I think that's been helpful. But now to be honest, I'm, a lot of my work is shifted from uh, making videos for teachers to use and working with my intervention kids. But I would say in all the emails I get from either parents or teachers that are forwarding me a parent email, it's all around writing and really K1, K2 maybe, but a lot of frustration over helping their kids write. I think we've got kids that are all of a sudden, you know, we were trying to build that independence and that risk taking and they're struggling. The parents as like, we're seeing a lot of samples that even from our high writers, they didn't write that on their own. Mm. or we're not getting writing samples from some kids and the parents are saying I don't know what to do they can't write it what they write they can't read back Mm. Um, so we've I've started making little um, parent support videos Mm. and it's you know it's a fine line I don't want to we don't want to expect parents to be the teachers because there's been some of that backlash like Mm. hang on a second we're not teachers so we're trying to include a lot of videos that actually teach the kids as if they were on the rug in a mini lesson. Here's what I'm going to teach you. Watch me as I do it. Mm-hmm. Try it now with me as much as you can, and then off you go. So we've tried to be really cognizant of that, but at the same time, I do feel like, especially for K and one parents, mm-hmm. they need help. Yeah. And if they're, you know, I've said to the teachers, you could use this bank of videos as you see fit. So if you have a parent that's reaching out saying, "I'm having trouble with this," you could say, mm-hmm. "Hang on, I have a video. See if it's helpful." I'm trying to keep them literally five to eight minutes long, mm-hmm. no more, and really focused, almost like if-then scenarios. If your child's having trouble getting started, mm-hmm. watch this video. If nice. your child is not you know, able to read back their sentence, watch this video. Um, so now I feel like there needs to be a little bit more of that because a lot of parents are trying to do right and they need help. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny too, because um, there was a, an email this morning from my library media specialist and my principal about a tutorial on putting um, videos into a slideshow. And even though people are doing a great job at like finding the perfect video on YouTube and putting that in, um, this woman, and I forget her name, I have to look it up now, but she did a great video. She was saying to teachers, put yourself, you do it, you do the video. Don't spend the time finding the perfect one on YouTube because they want to see you or even hear your voice. Yeah. Even as much as they might, might, you know, that YouTube beautifully produced and edited and all of that might be wonderful mm-hmm. and think it's better than anything you could do. That's what they actually need. And I chimed in on the conversation saying, you know what, 
that makes sense with the younger ones especially, mm -hmm. but I can speak from my own high schoolers, they're more engaged and laughing and, and enjoying the videos, even when they're silly things, not even like teaching anything that their high school teachers are sending. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's just seeing their quirky sense of humor comes out or they mm -hmm. say something that's like the running joke in the classroom. And I think that's so important for that, you know, that connectivity and feeling. And it's more, it leads to engagement, which mm -hmm. at the end of the day is what we want. Right, right, yeah, like like pulling those the community fabric threads. So to yeah. remind people, like we have a we have a shared experience. It feels like you're by yourself, but we do have the shared experience. You can tap back into can exactly like it's still going on. Yeah, that that it's is huge. Rough. Yeah, we, I've been you know it's making you're making me rethink some of the feedback that I gave a group. There's a group in at UConn called Husky Sport that um, student athletes, primarily student athletes, um, mentor. Uh, they've basically like adopted this one uh, community school in Hartford Public Schools and they go and do um, nutrition and fitness and literacy or like they have, I'm going to botch their whole mission, but <laughs> they have like, those is their kind of their three main pillars. Okay. Oh, how nice. Like, and stick to itiveness. Like it's really, it's a beautiful program. It's been going yeah, on. Yeah, it sounds it. For a while and then they do they do great stuff but um you know they're trying to figure out what to do online and and they always they do a read aloud in every classroom in that school every day some volunteer does a read aloud every single day in the school and so they want to do the read alouds online sure yeah um and they were trying to work through like how to do that and their college kids they don't have children's books at home that they can hold up and you know sort of trying to like work through kind of the logistics and the techie side of that and i was saying like you know you don't need to um redo read alouds of storybooks because they can watch Michelle Obama every Monday and they can watch Mo Willems every Tuesday and they can watch, yeah. you know, that, that are super well produced and engaging and they can see the text, which I think is really important. So important. Homes where they can't, you can only <laughs> look at the books you have in your house so many times. Yep. So that's, um, I was saying that, um, but they still need to hear from you because you are the reason to sign on to the internet in the first place. Yeah. And so really trying to encourage them to read things other than what we can find good examples of online, which is primarily nonfiction. Like, please right. show me somebody, read, <laughs> please show me a really good YouTube video of a celebrity reading <laughs> the newspaper to you or the back of a cereal box or the nutrition facts or um, the TV guide or the workout of the day. Like the, these nonfiction functional texts, but also just nonfiction texts. Like, let's learn all right. about tigers and kings. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, <laughs> so that they can uh, have experience with those too. And yeah. is it like... I feel like we've kind of pigeonholed what counts as literacy in these moments is like whatever is on Absolutely. Epic Razz Kids and YouTube counts as literacy, but oh all God, the fun so stuff true. that you're doing in your apps and on Instagram and all these other things don't count, but that, that, that's a wacky message. I know, exactly, exactly. And we shouldn't be saying that, especially now. Right, especially. Yeah, that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. Fun genre for you to play in. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it does matter as much. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's in terms of the screen time. I mean, I have high schoolers. I can't even begin to try to micromanage their screen time. I gave up a long time ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Not, you know, it's just, yeah. I, uh, I can't. It's uh -huh. too much. They've yeah. been doing, and I think for that age group too, those middle school and high school kids, they, they do everything online. Mm -hmm. They don't, there's no textbooks coming home in their backpacks. They're in Google Classroom. Like this transition for them has been a piece of cake. I mm -hmm. think maybe... The issue of screen time, which is kind of like back to, is it bad? I don't know. Yeah. Is, I don't know. Does it have any of those, you know, 
effects? I don't know. Is it is it more easily to keep a kid engaged when they can hold the book? Mm -hmm. Possibly. I do think maybe with K and one to hear, to flip through it without, yeah. you know, I don't know, to mm -hmm. hold it, to see the back, to see the front, to, mm -hmm. um, I think there might, I think it might help engagement to actually have it in their hands. At least when I think of my intervention kids in K one and two, I would definitely imagine that mm -hmm. they are less engaged with the book on the screen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it feels more distant or feels less, yeah, uh, yeah it feels less real. Yeah, yeah, more distance in between them and the actual book because they're not controlling it as much. They're not holding it. They're not, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think of how excited they are to get the book at the end of our lesson. If it's, if, if it's time for them to take it home, they get so excited. Mm -hmm. um, I think of that. Like, are you, yeah. would you be that excited if I said, click, 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 I just put it in your electronic library right now now go back to class and go home and read it i definitely think there would be a difference in that huh. mm -hmm. but I, I think it's prevalent probably more in those k2 ranges yeah the itty bitties yeah i, think I so. feel like there are some com there are some concerns at some point and i don't know how real they were about uh two things one being able to like cover and break apart a word which like I, so like you you can kind of use that strategy on a screen, kind of not really. Um, right. And then the other just like concepts about print when you swipe and scroll. Is that a concern? Is there something that you do about that? I mean, I have to say I've done my intervention group now with a actual book under the document camera where I'm reading, I'm bringing my finger in mm -hmm. to talk about a tricky word. I'm covering up the ending. I'm sliding mm -hmm. underneath. But then I did an electronic book and shared my screen in a Google Me and was bringing the mouse in and highlighting. So huh. I was like, you know what? I think it probably works both ways. I don't, before trying both out, I probably would have said, oh no, I want the real book under the document camera. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it worked pretty well. Hmm. So it sounds like the ability to interact with the text is what matters, but you can do it can't put a static PDF that you can't do anything to, but you can no. certainly, yeah, if you have the ability to click highlight, underline, enlarge, whatever, yeah. Yeah, I could do all the things that I wanted to do. I mean, it does, it, it does, uh, it does work, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. I mean, so many times my prompt is stay in the book or mm -hmm. my teaching point that I write in my anecdotal notes comes out of the text at point of difficulty. Mm -hmm. They could be doing that and I'm not seeing it. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. that tells you a lot mm -hmm. about where your teaching lies. Right. So it's hard. Yeah. 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 We need, you know, home recording studios, which is, we had a, uh, our first um, uh, series on the podcast. We had some teachers from Coventry. I call them the dream team because they're ridiculous and wonderful. Um, really? And they decided that like, if they were going to do these videos, because like you, they can't be, they weren't allowed to interact with kids daily and they are still not necessarily interacting directly. They can only kind of produce things. And if they're going to do that, they're going to make it look engaging and pleasing and whatever. And so they didn't really set up studios, but they did kind of make uh, a corner of their house that's always the same and like put a picture or plant or whatever and it's cute and they made sure right. that there was good lighting and that people could hear they like took some time when they were making their little instructional videos so yeah. it, you know it really looked like something and there may be there may be something to that like what I took away from it first hearing about it three weeks ago or something was um if the important thing is that the kids see you and feel like they're with you a little bit then the care that you took to make it look right um, 
is a really good investment. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, you think of the old the reading, reading recovery model of behind the glass, like mm-hmm. the teachers could could watch, I mean, of course you're watching the teacher that's in the room prompt in and do all those things, but even as an outsider looking into that lesson, you could still tell so much, even if you took the teacher out for mm-hmm. what the child is doing and is not doing and how they're engaging with the tech. So yeah, right. and if we could just be on a video so they've got that connectedness and mm-hmm. as they're reading, see what they're doing, literally see what they're doing and be mm-hmm. able to prompt in accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I think, that's the piece that's like the, the, the true technical, like audio visual piece that is, needs to be refined, but yeah. probably could be. <laughs> yeah, it's probably doable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Making sure parents know sort of what needs to be in view and having that kind of thing. I, I kept thinking that somebody needs to put together like the teaching, the teaching at home kit and the learning at home kit. You know, yep. they have these arms that will hold your cell phone to make it a document camera. Have you seen these? Oh, no. Oh, That's I'll put a link good. in the show notes. They're cool. They're, they look like um, those kind of elbow shaped lamp things that clamps to the desk and it holds your phone so that you you can call into zoom as another person yeah. and then whatever your phone sees which is the document on the page that's the nice fancy techie way to do it the other way to do it is to just cut a hole in a cardboard box and put your camera up to it and whatever's in the box is yeah. your camera right oh that's good um, but yeah if we could say like all right if you're going to outfit a small area as you're learning from home station um this is the document camera that you get. And this is the um, camera that shows your desk camera that shows yep. us your whole desk. Or maybe we use a document camera as a desk. It doesn't matter. Point is, we, we maybe do need to rethink sort of what is, how we outfit people to do it well. Yep, absolutely. Um, for the future or for long term or for whatever. Like, I think that's something. And it also is something to know just for beginning teachers and parents and whatever that like somebody who really knows what they're looking for is looking at their eyes and their body and how they interact with the text. It's really, it's, it really is about a physical interaction with text. Yeah, it really is. And you need to see that. And I think that's even true with fifth, you know, fifth and sixth and seventh graders as mm-hmm. much as it is with a kindergartner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really think based on what you're saying right now, it's, um, I had this inkling of the idea yesterday, but everything that you said has made me think that we really need as much as there's been an explosion of read alouds. We need some write alouds. We need. Oh my God. Absolutely. We just do. Absolutely. That's, that is literally, I did a Google meet with a parent kindergarten parent yesterday who was really just at the point of tears with trying to help her struggling kindergartner and a struggling first grader in writing. And I literally took my document camera and put it on my easel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Trying nice. to give her like strategies, like my person on the swing. That's a very um, good, your person looks like they're standing on that swing. Could they sit down, please? No. <laughs> she's a little bit of a rebel rouser on this playground. <laughs> that's going to be my next sentence. But it. it was really like giving her like, you know, that's, that's I think the struggle is I think yeah. we need to do more for for the writing. And when you think about it, and I said to, to the parent to make her feel better, I said, um, as a literacy coach, if I offered every teacher in my building to choose read, do you want me to come in and support you and help with reading or writing? 90% would say writing, mm-hmm. maybe a hundred mm-hmm. would say writing. I said, it's just, it's, it's, you know, here we are, we're trained professionals that have gone to school for this. I said, in the primary grades, it's a hard, it's a fun time and, it, and it's an exciting time and you see so much growth. I said, but um, it's tough. I said, so, you know, you got to give yourself, these, some of these parents are beating themselves up over it or really mm-hmm. worrying about um, their kids. You know, some of the flip grids have been 
great where kids are reading back to the class what they wrote or what they shared. But then on the, so you think, oh, this was great to do this because they got to engage with their peers and then comment about it. But then you had like the, those pockets of kids that struggled to do that. And mm -hmm. that for a parent is heartbreaking. Mm, and I was I really like, we'll it. be able to read it back. Here's what we need to do. You know, let's make some spaces for her. Let's make, let's make a sentence and count out the words. And I was literally like turning my, I was like, hang on, I'm going to put my document camera on. And I was like giving her a tutorial. Mm -hmm. and she was, it was, you know, 10 minutes long. And then we ended and that's where I said, you know what, that's, I think like the next piece of this is mm -hmm. to change that we were changing the instruction, but now we have to help support parents mm -hmm. um, in this too, because it's hard. Mm -hmm especially mm -hmm. with the K-1. Yeah. And when they're, you know, if you are helping your kindergarten or first grader take a look at Flipgrid, you get to see firsthand how they compare with all the, with seven other kids. And absolutely, that's something that parents usually wouldn't have access to. And so it can, yeah, I bet that's super alarming if your kid looks different in any way. And parents want to help and they want them, especially if they know they're going to share it. Like I said, we've even got like strong writers and the teachers are getting papers that just don't look like they did it. So then you think, oh God, we had, you do so much as early writers to build independence and risk-taking. I mean, that's what it basically comes down to. And I worry about how, what, what's gonna happen there. Mm. Like, I feel like we're gonna get a lot of primary writers come back that are not feeling able to take risks because mm -hmm. as a parent, right, you wanna, you wanna, jump in there and help them when you see them stressed and we want them to do that but how do you do that while still getting them to know they can do it on their own or try it on their own yeah um uh, yeah. some of the pushback about like this is too much i think you were sort of saying in the beginning that it may not have been too much literally in volume it was just too much too soon yes and, and too much too soon without enough you know support and troubleshooting around it and that kind of thing um, absolutely so i think to like the parent workshops that we do um, at, we used to do them at Osborne Hill. Sometimes we did them in the fall, sometimes we would do them in the spring, but they were like literally parent literacy workshops. So mm -hmm. I said to my principal, you know, let's view these videos as like mini workshops. So mm -hmm. not to make parents feel like they have to be teachers, but at the same time, just like we would pull them in to come from seven o'clock at night to nine o'clock for a little parent literacy workshop to help support their kids that's what these videos can be but they're now geared towards the distance learning model of how to support your kids yeah yeah i like that a lot and then also the writing thing i think there's <laughs> again probably i feel like like I, you can i can make a conspiracy theory out of this pretty quickly but um just we tend to really focus on reading as a as a society and yeah for some good reasons and some not so good reasons. And um, the writing piece, I feel like would support the reading piece so very much. Absolutely. And support engagement so very much and would welcome kids back to school and make it feel like the literacies that they're developing are like meaningful and useful to them because they actually get to produce something. Um, so that may be the next thing. And companies can't, you know, we had somebody on the podcast recently talking about how all of these freebies um, from different companies uh, are a way of kind of making you, um, making it a familiar, happy, um, making that brand familiar and um, positive for you. Yep. And so when they come next with a paid thing, like when the freebie runs out and then, you know, so it's, it's not, it's not all like 
just because people are and companies need to make money too. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Right. But um, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's grabbing you in now so that you right. continue to do it later. Yeah. yeah. We've done a bunch of free trials and yeah. I'm already foreseeing that that happening. Absolutely. But there's almost nothing to buy for writing, which is, which is why you aren't bombarded with free this, that, and the other thing for writing. Yeah. Um, and when you and worry about, do they have books? Do we worry about screen time reading books? We don't need any of that for writing. Right. Right. They can write their own books and yep. read them back. And that would be, and, and, and guess what? It's right on their level. <laughs> exactly. I'm actually excited too, because our next writing units for the primary grades by our pacing guide mm -hmm. um, is opinion writing. And I Ooh. said, to the, yeah, that would be great at home, right? Yeah. It's yeah. very easy to support your child when you want to talk about what's your favorite ice cream, what's your oh favorite, gosh. you know, yeah. What's your favorite book? What's your favorite thing to do? What's your favorite mm -hmm. sport? What's, I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, the parents already have all that. So I think mm -hmm. it'll be a nice unit to accompany some of these videos. Right. The, the primary genre of my discourse with my child right now is negotiation. So I think it's exactly, yeah, <laughs> she needs to be in an opinion writing and argument writing. Um, Absolutely. Unit right now. Yeah, that yep. would match her oral language development really nice. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Kids, and they're they're really opinionated all the way till they're 18. <laughs> yeah, nice. Nice. Right on. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that yeah. idea. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I really you are so welcome. And that's it for this chat. You can find our guest's contact information by navigating from our website reading.education.ucon.edu and clicking on podcast. We'll also have a transcript of this conversation and links to some of the tools and ideas mentioned here. Don't forget to like, subscribe, download, share, and check back here next week for a new series of podcasts from your Yukon Literacy Fellows. Thanks for listening.